Blog Talk Radio. Mike. I can't, you, you, you sound like you're underwater. So do I sound, do I sound okay to you? If I sound okay to you, play the, um, play the, the J. King show theme song. If you can hear me. Can you hear me, Mike? All right, you go. Um, you go. Good evening, everybody. My name is Jay King. Welcome to the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. We got a good one for you today. Today we're going to talk about black progress. Has there been any progress? And if so, you know, um, how much progress have we made and how much more progress do we need to make? And um, my name is Jay King. I'm the president and CEO of the California Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I am a member of the group Club Nouveau. I'm the leader and creator of Club Nouveau, best known for our hits, Rumors, Lean on Me, Why You Treat Me So Bad, Situation Number 9, Heavy on My Mind, Jealousy, and a host of others. I am also an on-air personality at 97.5 FM KDEE in Sacramento, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I do a show called Kings in the Morning uh, on thejkingnetwork.com, if you want to listen online, if you want to watch me on Facebook Live, I'm at Facebook at J-A-Y-K-I-N-G, the number three, and that's from 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. The last few weeks I've talked about music. I think I broke it up in the middle, just did a little thing on politics. And the wonderful thing about uh, the J. King Show is I can talk about virtually anything. And uh, today, I want to talk about black progress, how far we've come and how far we have to go and how we get there. And you can't talk about black progress without talking about April 4th, 1968, which was the day Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, while he was assisting striking sanitation workers. Back then, which was over a century ago, but not so far away when you think about time, we're talking about 55 years, wholesale racial integration required by the 1964 Civil Rights Act was just beginning to chip away at discrimination as it relates to education and and jobs and public facilities. Black voters had only obtained legal protections two years earlier in order for them to vote. And the 1968 Fair Housing Act was about to become law, had not even become law yet. Fair housing had not even become law in 1968. 
and African Americans were only beginning to move into neighborhoods, go to colleges, and have careers that were once reserved for whites only 55 years ago. So in the 1960s, I'm born in 1962, so in 1968, I'm six years old. And in a lot of ways, it sounds like I was living in another world. Today, a lot of African Americans now hold positions of power. They're everything from mayors to governors to corporate chief executives and presidents. The U.S. is very different as a place than it was in 1968. That's what I say. But some people say, is it really? Um, for the past 50 years and some change, a lot of people say we're still fighting the same battle as Dr. Martin Luther King fought back in the day. When you look at the 1960s, it was tumultuous. Uh, from 1965 to 1968, there were approximately 150 race riots and uprisings in American cities. The protests were a sign of profound citizen anger about a nation that was, according to the Advisory Commission on Civil Disorder, moving toward two societies, one black and one white, separate and unequal. Economically, that was certainly true, as we see the remnants of it today. In 1968, only 10% of white people lived below the poverty level. In 1968, 34 percent of African Americans lived below the poverty level. That's more than one out of every three. Also, in 1968, only 2.6% of white job seekers were unemployed compared to 6.7% of black job seekers. That's almost three times. So a year before his death, Dr. Martin Luther King and, and some of his buddies, they organized a poor people's campaign to dramatize the plight of America's poor, not poor black, poor people of all races. And, and they wanted to make it very clear that they are sick and tired of waiting for a better life. So on May 28, 1968, just one month after Martin Luther King's assassination, they had a mass anti-poverty march um, that took place, and individuals from across the, the nation erected a tent city on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and they called it Resurrection City. And the aim was to bring the problems associated with poverty to America. 
Ralph Abernathy, who was a minister working with Dr. Martin Luther King, is the one who led the march in place of Martin Luther King. And this is what he said, Ralph Abernathy, we come with an appeal to open the doors of America to the almost 50 million Americans who have not been given a fair share of America's wealth and opportunity. We will stay until we get it. The the problem with anger-driven protests is that it's difficult to maintain the level of anger to create the emphasis and power of what you need to happen. And so here we are. So far, how have black people progressed since 1968? Have we gotten our fair share? Do we see things different and better? In some ways, we've barely budged as a people. Poverty is still too common in the United States. In 1968, 25 million Americans, roughly 13% of the population, lived below poverty level. In 2016, 43.1 million or more than 12.7%. I'm sorry, let me do it again, Mike. In 2016, 43.1 million or more than 12.7% did. So it's still the same. And if you look at today, today's black poverty rate of 21% is almost three times that of whites compared to the 1968 rate of 32%. So there hasn't been a huge improvement, but an improvement. When you start looking at financial security, in 2018, black households earned $57.30 for every $100 in income earned by white families. And for every $100 in white family wealth, black families held just $5.04. So I want you to understand we're talking about earnings. When it comes to earnings, white families earned roughly 43% more than black families. When it came to wealth, white families had 20 times more wealth than blacks. And we can take this all the way back to slavery and then post-slavery with the systemic racism, bigotries, prejudices, and biases that have existed in this country. Now, by 2053, the disparity report says that African Americans will be at zero wealth. And by 2073, brown communities will follow. These are the facts. How far have we come? And how far have we to go to make African-American value, African-American wealth, 
African-American progress a reality. My name is Jay King. You're tuned into the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. We'll be right back. Okay, good. And you're, you sound great. You came back. You sound amazing. Thank you. Okay. How many minutes do I have? Uh, you will have, let me see, 13 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have about uh, 12 minutes, actually. Um, 12 minutes? Okay. You ready? I think I'm ready. How many? Uh, how many minutes? You have twelve, actually. Okay, twelve minutes. Okay. Thank you. You ready? You're tuned into the J King Show at KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. My name is J King, and we're talking about Black progress. How far have we come, and how far do we have to go? And I'm just going to give you guys real facts and. I'm not going to deal with a lot of emotion. I'm not going to deal with a, a lot of anger because those are things that I believe that have killed us. Those are the things that have hampered us from moving forward. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to that later on. But I just want to get to the facts of where we are, okay? Um, there are a lot of troubling aspects to black social progress or lack thereof. Um, one of them is how many black families are headed by single women. In 1960, or let me just go back. In the 1960s, unmarried women were the main breadwinners for about 20% of our households, which means men were the breadwinner for about 80% of our households. In recent years, that percentage of women being breadwinners of our households has risen as high as 72%. Now, the reason why this is important, um, not because of some outmoded sexist idea of what a family is, uh, it's important because there's a powerful connection between poverty and female-headed households. Black Americans today are more dependent on government aid than we were in 1968. About 40% of African Americans are poor enough to qualify for welfare, housing assistance, and other government programs um, that offer modest support to families living under the poverty line. That's higher than any other U.S. racial group in the country. When you look at Latinos, it's 21%. When you look at Asians, it's 18%. And when you look at whites, it's 17% that are on welfare. When you look at blacks, we're at 40%. 
this is where we talk about the debt that's owed and how we can really make progress. The fact that we're in a race where we're running a 100-yard dash, but we're 200 yards behind before the race starts. So just imagine that. You're watching us in a 100-yard dash, but we're 200 yards behind the starting line. So even as we're making progress, it doesn't seem like progress because the systemic racism, bigotry, prejudice, and bias that has been baked into the game we call life by the government that is supposed to protect its citizens has not worked for us but against us. But there are some bright spots. Our incomes are on the way up. Black adults experienced a more significant income increase from 1980 to 2016 than any other U.S. um, demographic. Let me do this one more time, Mike. Um, Black adults experienced a more significant income increase from 1980 to 2016 than any other U.S. demographic group. We grew from $28,667 to $39,490. Now, this is um, – oh, I'm sorry, Mike, let me go. This, in part, is why there's now a significant black middle class. But when we talk about the black middle class, in terms of earning power, when we look at the wealth of the black middle class versus the wealth of the white middle class, it is so uneven that it's eight to 20 times greater the wealth of a white middle class than the black middle class. So the black middle class um, would have to earn anywhere from five to ten times as much as his or her white counterpart to be deemed equal. But the good part is black adults experience the more significant income increase than any other group. Legally, African Americans may live in any community they, they want. They can live anywhere from Beverly Hills to the Upper East Side. They can, and they do. So some people would say, then why aren't aren't those gains deeper and more widespread? And some of our prominent thinkers believe that institutional racism among other things, the biases, the prejudices, the racism that existed in our government has so held back African Americans throughout history 
that this is the reason why we deserve what some people would call reparations and I call the debt that's old. And if we are going to change this country and make it great for once, it's going to be because she's paid the debt she owes to the body of people that helped make her a superpower, a wealth builder, and the strongest nation in the world, the number one economy that exists today. She can't talk about it without you and I. She can't talk about it without going back to 1940, where 60% of employed black women worked as domestic servants. Today, that number is less than 2%. She can't talk about it without talking about in 1958, 44% of whites said they would move if a black family became their next-door neighbor. Today, that figure is 1%. She can't do it without discussing the fact that in 1964, the year the Great Civil Rights Act was passed, only 18% of whites claimed to have a friend who was black. Today, that number is 90%. But 87% of blacks say they have white friends. So there are some progresses that have been made. And if we are going to discuss America and the ills of her, we have to also discuss America and some of her growth. Progress is the largely suppressed story of races and race relations over the past half century. And this news that more than 40% of African Americans now consider themselves members of the middle class, 42% own their own homes, a figure that rises to 75% if we look just at black married couples. Black two-parent families earn only 13% less than those who are white. Almost a third of the black population lives in suburbia. Because these are facts the middle seldom report, the black underclass continues to define black America in the view of much of the public. Many assume black, blacks live in ghettos, often in high-rise public housing projects. Crime and the welfare checks are seen as their main source of income. The stereotype crosses racial lines. Blacks are even more prone than whites to exaggerate the extent to which African Americans are trapped in inner city poverty. We hear it all the time with our leadership using um, some of uh, um, our positions to bolster their nonprofits. In a 1991 Gallup poll, about one-fifth of all whites, but almost half of black respondents said that at least three out of four African Americans were impoverished urban residents. And yet, in reality, 
blacks who consider themselves to be middle class, class blacks who consider themselves to be middle class outnumber those with incomes below the poverty line by a wide margin. I want you to hear what they said. Blacks who consider themselves to be middle class. Now, when we look at blacks that earn anywhere from $37,000 to $68,000, they are called middle class. I'm sorry, let me go back, Mike. Let me go back. Whites who earn before, between $37,000 and $64,000 are considered middle class. Blacks who earn between $68,000 and $204,000 are deemed middle class by the metrics. So a black person that's earning the same as a white person that would be seen that would be deemed middle class from a wealth standpoint is really closer to poverty than they actually know. So we have to look at the metrics. We have to look at the reality of why the debt that's owed to us has to be paid so that we can even out the score. You're tuned into the JT show at KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. We're talking about black progress, how far we've come, and how far we have to go. We'll be right back. Good, got it. Okay. You want to do um, Highlands here? Yeah. How many? Okay. Uh, this show is sponsored by Highlands Community Charter School. If you're 22 years or older without a high school diploma, Highlands Community Charter School is where you ought to be. Not only will they help you earn your high school diploma, they'll help you find a career pathway, and it doesn't cost you a dime, just time and effort. 916-844-2283 is the number. 916-844-2283. And remember, it's never too late to get your life in order. Okay, great. Nine minutes. Nine minutes? All right, let me... um. You're tuned into the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. My name is Jay King. We're talking about black progress, how far we've come, and how far we have to go. And we've come a long way. We've come a long way from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. We've come a long way from the beginning in the 1940s. However deep demographic and economic change, which was accompanied by a shift in racial, white racial attitudes, blacks started down the street to a much greater equality with the New Deal legislation, which set minimum wages and hours and eliminated the incentive of Southern employers to hire low-wage black workers. Um, it put a damper on further industrial development in the region. And in addition, the trend toward mechanized agriculture and the diminished demand for American cotton in the face of international competition combined to displace blacks from the land. Because you have to remember, in 1920, we owned 15 million acres of land. So um, black farming was, was huge in, in southern states. But by the 1940s, all that is gone because our government 
has come with eminent uh, uh, domain, the Bureau of Land Management, and redlining. So in the 1940s, you know, we are moving out of the South and into other parts of the United States. So by 1960, instead of black men and black women being laborers, only one out of seven black men still labored on land. And almost a quarter or 25% were now in white collar or what we call skilled manual occupations. Another 24% have what they call semi-skilled factory jobs. That meant membership. Uh, in stable work, the, uh, the stable working class portion of black women working as servants had grown, had dropped from 40 percent to 20 percent, and even those who didn't move up in the higher ranking jobs were doing a lot better. A decade later, the gains were even more striking. From 1940 to 1970. Black men cut the income gap by about a third. And by 1970, they were earning, on average, roughly 60% of what white men took in. Now, you can look at this two ways. You can look at this with the fact that black men were making 60% of what white men made, which means they were making 40% less, or you can look at it and say that we grew by almost 50%, seven, almost, I'm sorry, almost 300% from what we were taking in just 20, 30 years before. The advancement of black women was even more impressive. Black life expectancy went up dramatically black home ownership rates, black college enrollment also by 1970 um, to about 10% of total, three times the pre-war figure. But you have to remember, too, that black men were not allowed to use the GI Bill to buy a home or go to college like their white counterparts when World War II ended. It wasn't until years later that they had the same right as their white counterparts. America has never been fair. America has never been equitable. America has never been equal. America has never been justice when we look at black folks. So when we look at black progress, we have to look at it from a different eye. You can't look at it based on an even playing field. You have to look at your progress based on this tilted field where, remember, you're in a 100-yard dash starting 200 yards behind. And you have to look at you now. You have to look at how strong and resilient you are. You have to look at your fortitude. You have to look at your intelligence. In order for you to still be here 
in, in the middle of the game. You have to understand your value, your worth. You can't concern yourself with how other people see you, what other people think about you, what other people say about you. It's you. You have to be the person pouring in to you. You have to be the community believing in you. So we got to change our messaging. We have to build an ask. And what I mean by change our messaging, we can't keep coming with the poor me syndrome. Look at what they've done to us. They've been unfair to us. These are things we know. I don't worry myself with that. I worry myself with when are we going to wake up and see our progress? When are we going to wake up and see our strength? When are we going to wake up and see our value? When are we going to wake up and pour love into us and say, man, we are some bad motherfuckers? Because we really are. I saw somebody write earlier, heartbreaking. The statistics aren't heartbreaking for me. The statistics are reality for me. What's heartbreaking for me is that we don't see us, that that we minimize ourselves, that we've now made ourselves just black. I don't see us like that. I don't see me like that. I'm the country. I'm the reason. I'm the reason why we continue to grow and prosper. I'm the innovation. I'm the value. And because I see myself as such, I don't minimize myself to just black. I just happen to be black. But what's in me is power and strength and fearlessness. And that's what we need to build up in ourselves. We have to change our messaging. We have to change our messaging from being a victim to being power. You're tuned into the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. My name is Jay King. I'll be right back. How many how many minutes? Two four minute segments left. Okay. You ready? Yes, I am. I am. I'm gonna fix this button and we're gonna go. It's the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. My name is Jay King. I hope you are enjoying the show. I hope you are hearing what I'm saying to you. We give too much power to other people. We don't take enough power for ourselves. We don't understand who we are. When I say we have to change our messaging, what I mean is, We can't come with the same conversation, the same poor me, the same I'm a victim, and think we're going to get a different result. We've tried it, been there, 
done that. It didn't get us very far. So I don't talk about Black Wall Street. I talk about Green Wall Street. I don't talk about being a black business owner. I talk about being a good business owner who happens to be black. I want to plug into Green Wall Street because I want all the dollars. I'm not catering to black people. I'm catering to good people who want a good product from a good business person. We have to change our messaging on how we carry ourselves and the kind of attitude that we bring into a space. We've got to lose that chip. Some of us walk in to a place with the chip on our shoulder because you're not going to disrespect me. I'm the wrong one. You found the right one, you know, all that. You got to lose the chip and smile. You have to recognize the trauma. The only way you can lose the chip is to recognize the trauma that you've been born into. You and I have been walking in trauma since our birth because our parents before us walked in trauma. Their parents before them walked in trauma. Their parents before them walked in trauma. And their parents before them were slaves walking in trauma. So we have to recognize our trauma, lose our chip, and correct our emotions so that we are not over-emotional about these crimes because we need to be pragmatic and critical on how we're going to get to the finish line. And we have to ask ourselves, do I want to win or do I want to be right? you got to understand the game because the game is cold-blooded. We have to invest in self, self-improvement, Self-love, self-knowledge, self-understanding, self-respect. My name is Jay King. You're tuned into the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. We'll be right back to close this thing out. Okay, great. Yeah, I love the opinion. I love the analysis. Really needed. How many? Um, um, how many minutes? The last four, last segment here is four and a half. Okay. All right. And we are done. Okay. It's the Jay King Show at KVLA Talk fifteen eighty. My name is Jay King, and I hope you enjoyed this show. Um. Hold on, Mike. Let me. All right, Mike. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before we get out of here, I have to tell you that we've made great strides. Our progress has been miraculous. With everything that has been thrown at us, 
everything that we've been up against, the fact that we are still here and whole is a testament to our fortitude, our greatness, and our strength. And if this country is going to be another 30 years from now, it's going to be because America paid her debt for the crimes that she committed against the original American, you and me. And the debt that she owes or the reparations that she must pay has to be um, tailored to the need of the victim. So every, all of us don't have the same need. That's why in my debt plan I say it has to be financial. So there has to be money. It has to be old tax debt, old debt have to be wiped away. It has to be no taxes for 10 years or more. It has to be free education. It has to be free health care. It has to be a down payment for a home. It has to be um, uh, um, a small business loan. It has to be uh, um, these, it has to be seven to eight, nine different pots that you can choose from but you can only choose three. So you, can, so you can choose based on your need. Now, I have seven or eight that I have already uh, named, but there, there could be 12 different pots you can pull from, but you can only pull from three. You can only use three of those pots. That way, America won't have that, that big, $17 trillion payout that people say because not everybody that's eligible will be taking their debt payment right now because some kids are under 18. They don't want to use it. Some are just turning 18. Some are babies. Some are older. Everybody's going to want something different. Maybe I don't want any money. Maybe I just want any debt I have, uh, no taxes for, for 10 years, and free health care. So it doesn't cost as much as somebody who wants a down payment for a house, $350,000 one-time payment, and uh, free college. Everybody gets to pick what they want. What it does, though, is it helps, it helps the country repair herself. And it helps to build black progress in a way where even we can see it without having to go search for it because it's right in front of us. Because the wealth we would receive is not wealth that anybody is giving us. It's wealth that, we, that we've earned from our givings to this country through our ancestors and parents, uncles and aunts, through our spirit, through our love and our music and our ingenuity. America, by making the debt a priority, is making black progress permission. My name is Jay King.
and you're tuned into the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. I'll see you next week. Okay, you guys, if you guys haven't done this, go um, download the iHeartRadio app. Download the iHeartRadio app and search for the J. King Show on iHeartRadio, and you can listen to all of my past shows. Um, I was listening to a show the other day, and I don't really listen to my shows. I just started doing it. But I'm going to tell you a really good one to listen to is Stagnant Black Wealth and How We Can Change It. If you download the iHeartRadio show on the iHeartRadio app and then search for the J. King Show, um, using personal focus to increase your success, positive attitude for positive opportunities, the whitewashing of early black settlements, learning our history from 14-year-old George Denny Jr., um, Andrew Johnson destroyed the black community, the most. Go and listen to those shows, and you'll get a chance to see how criminal America has been to you and I. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So, Mike, we're good? Yeah, we're good. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you guys for coming. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, John Beckman. Thank you, um, Dale um, Bernie. Thank you, Janet Marie. Thank you. I think I saw Don Agent. Um, here too, and I think I saw vertical. Ah, all right. So we good, Mike. Yeah. I'm trying not. Oh, to I'll leave. But, um, uh-huh. Go ahead. Make, you're trying not to make it political, but what? I'm trying not to. But what? All those those games. What game? The early years was the, the, you know, from a... Well, they weren't... Uh, yeah, but I mean, but the they, that's not game. game. Mike, you can't tell me that you... So for you, they're games. For me, I'm still behind. It's a game... Uh, so, no, it's, no, 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 no. so I'm not 200 yards behind. Now I'm 160 yards behind. Come on, man. Go on, yeah, game. No, the African... <laughs> you can't... You can't you know, but, um, let, let me tell you, um, Paul Petrovich could not build a gas station, and he went to court to build the gas station in a $250 million um, development. Do you think, and, and he was discriminated against, and it did so much to him emotionally that he almost didn't make it for a gas station. You took my you took my land. You decided one day that I'm going to build a freeway through here, and I'm going to cite a law called eminent domain, and I'm going to take your property. And there's nothing I can do with it. You decide that you want to take my land in Manhattan Beach because you want to build, uh, uh, you want to turn it, build a park there or something. 
and you don't do anything with it. You just take my land, and there's nothing I can do about it. So when you say the progress, see, Mike, I can say it. You can't. Because I have to say well, it. I was going to say there's. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's there. It's happening. That you know you can say it, but you know despite the Democrat policies that were taking place, including you were talking about the GI Bill, that's the Mississippi Congressman John Rankin who stepped in and did everything he could to to shut that down. Yes, he did. But but it's not. And so see, you want to make it about Democrat and Republican, Mike. It was just as many racist, bigoted. Prejudiced, biased Republicans as they were Democrats. They were one and the same. So the only difference between the Republican and the Democrat is one starts with R and the other starts with D. But they're the same for my community. If they were any different in my community, you'd see my community flourish in some way, form, or fashion. You don't see that. The game is thick, Mike. The pimping is pimping is is hard. The hate the hate mongering. Do you know Mike, do you know what they used to do in Florida with babies? Black babies? You know what they used to do with them? No. They used to use them as bait for alligators. Now go do some research on that. That's how much value they put on me. Go read about a Coy, Florida, Mike, and see what they did to little black kids in a Coy, Florida. Go read about Nashville, Tennessee, 1921. 1925, I think it was. Maybe it was 1919. Nashville, Tennessee. You know what they said about Nashville, Tennessee? And Nashville, Tennessee said, they said that it was the safest place for a black person because they all got along equally with whites until a half-black, half-white man was charged with shooting and killing somebody when he wasn't even there. Go read about Elaine, Arkansas. Go read about um, Wilmington, North Carolina. See, it ain't, no, it ain't no state in these United States that didn't mistreat, malign, murder, uh, and just annihilate African-American value and wealth. Not any state in this union. Go Google any of them, Mike. So when you say, you know, the Democrats, no, sir, no, sir, it was the government and the white people of this country that really were criminals. 
And if a white person showed any love, any compassion, any concern, any care for a black person, that black per- that white person was called a nigger lover and possibly murdered. For sure, ran out of town. What I talk about isn't something that I'm making up. These are facts. Everything I just said, you can go Google it. You can do any research you want, and you'll find it. America got a debt to pay. So black folk have made progress in spite of these things. Not because of them. Black folk, we... It's hard for us to understand our resilience and our power because we're so weathered by the fight. I love me, Mike. I love being black. I hope you the same way I believe you love being white, and you have every right to love being white. But I have every right to love being black. I love you to get I want you to get everything you got coming to you because I should get everything I got coming to me. But if in you, loving you causes you to hate me, that's where we have a problem and vice versa. The power structure is made by white men for white men. And these are facts. I've um, I've adapted to the culture. I know that this is a game. This is a game that I have to play every day, and I'm good at it, and I dig it. It's the game of life. I'm not trying to. I'm not gonna kill myself. That's not ever a thought for me. Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know what, I've been fighting the wrong way. I need to start talking about financial, um, you know, um, our financial wealth, our financial health, and they killed him. All right, you guys. Mike, I'm going to let you get you doing your job. I got to get up do my workout. I did. I had a good workout this morning. Ooh, I, I, 